Hey, good morning, Village Church. My name is David. I'm one of the pastors here. It's good to be uh, teaching this morning. And uh, yeah, I want to say hi to our youth kids. Youth kids? Wow. So loud. So much energy. I used, used to get to teach people that had energy. Uh, I used to get to teach just such lively people all the time. And now here I am. Look at me now, washed up. Uh, I want to say hi to our, our college students that are back in town. Yeah. Eh, not bad. And uh, I'm glad you guys figured out the service time. I saw many of you were um, about 10 minutes late to the 10 o'clock service uh, a couple weeks ago, which we don't have a 10 o'clock service. So, um, welcome. Welcome to the 9.30 service, which is our service. And uh, it's good to have you guys here. Um, excited for you to be back and uh, joining us. So, um, all right. We, uh, one of the things we've been committed to um, over the last few years is to pick a few Sundays throughout the year and uh, hit pause on our sermon series. We've been going through the book of Acts for the last few months and um, pause a few times and to hit some Christ and culture topics and um, look at these things from a gospel perspective. And, and so the last one we did was on uh, Sunday, it was the 4th of July. We did a biblical view of freedom. And this weekend, as we are in Labor Day weekend, we're going to pause our sermon series in Acts, and we're going to look at a biblical view of work. Again, we all like work, right? Work is a good thing, whether you work full-time for a big corporation or you work part-time for a little small business or you're at home managing your home and your kids or you're a full-time student. Work is a part of life, right? It's a huge part of life. And it shouldn't be a surprise to us that God has a plan and a purpose for our work. I know youth kids, you guys just put in some work at Denny's, throwing down some pancakes, maybe grab a job application next time. You know, I don't know. <laughs> I want to open our Bibles this morning and look at some key passages that um, I think are going to help us to understand God's plan for work for us. And, and in the end, I think we'll be strengthened to, to, to see and to have confidence that, that God knows what's best for us in our work. And in the end, um, I think I, we can leave this place with a lot more joy and confidence in the thing that God's called us to. And I think we can have our minds set on the things above, okay? And so we're going to try to do that this morning. All right, Village Church? Yeah. So if you were to open up your Bibles to, to Genesis and, and just start reading, it would only take you a couple minutes before you find the word work. That's pretty interesting. And it's not exactly what you would expect. Like, you might expect it to say something like this, maybe if this was like your kid's Bible. You know, and God made the giraffes really tall. And hey, that worked, right? They didn't fall over. <laughs> That's not how we see the word work, though, in the Bible. We, see, we actually see it from God. All of chapter 1, we see God made this and God made that. But at the beginning of chapter 2, we see that the Bible calls this work of God, that God is working. Look at Genesis chapter 2, verses 2 to 3. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. So you see all the way in the beginning that this negative view that we have of work, this negative association, the Bible rejects that from the very beginning. God himself works. The God who has all the power is working so much so that he even rests. Now, of course, he doesn't need the rest, but he's modeling that for us, right? The rhythm of work and rest. And then this is passed down through Adam and through all of humanity to us. 
And we see this as we keep going in Genesis. Look at Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. It says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. So I think the first thing we see this morning is that the people of God are a people who embrace work. The people of God are a people who embrace work. From the very beginning until now, God has established his image bearers on earth to be a people who live and work and cultivate the things that they've been entrusted with, right? Work is not the result of sin entering the world. The foundation of work is laid before sin enters the world, first by God and then, of course, through Adam. And so work itself is not the result of the fall. The idea that, that I would wake up and, and go places and, and, and I would have things to do and things to solve and things to cultivate and children to raise and meals to plan and a house to manage, that's not because sin entered the world and it, and it destroyed our ability to live as God intended, as if work is some departure from God's original design for us to live like in sloth form, right? God just wanted us to be like in a hammock. <laughs> like this is peak humanity, right? The only reason that we're not spending 24 hours a day in a hammock is because Adam and Eve ruined it for us, right? <laughs> and of course, so much of like ancient art and culture, and it like affirms this ideal laziness, right? That, that God will one day take us to heaven and, and restore us back to how we should be. And somehow, like, the paintings always look like everyone sitting on a cloud and playing a harp, right? I was just thinking, you know, like, how many harpists will there be in heaven? I would say, as a pastor, no more than necessary, right? <laughs> there will be other things to do, right? I, I would argue that the number could be as low as one, preferably zero. <clears throat> Maybe you're a harpist right now, and you're like, that made me uncomfortable. Like, I have to find a new church now. This man is mean. <laughs> Listen, I, I hope you get to play your harp in heaven. But it's possible that you're not good enough. And you could be, <laughs> you could be assigned to some other form of work, perhaps just like harvesting lemon trees or something. But as a pastor, I just need to say, you need to be okay with that, right? I think we see really clearly in Scripture that God's, God's design for work is not the result of sin, but as part of the God-given nature that we share. It is His plan to have joyful purpose and satisfaction for us through honoring Him in our work, right? And we see this from the beginning, and I believe Scripture points to this in the end. We also see it throughout all of human history, right? And so what happens to work after the fall? Because things do change. We see this in Genesis chapter 3, right? Starting in verse 17. Look at it with me. It says, Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. And so the earth, the Bible says, is cursed. And our work now becomes a struggle for us. And you get a sense that before the fall, like nature was working in unison with man. There's this joyful, productive work. Like, 
Like every apple just wants to be delicious. Like you don't have to fight with it on that, you know? Like every tree just wants to grow big and healthy and, and the cows milk themselves and just bring you the jar, right? <laughs> that might be a stretch. But now we struggle against resistance, right? It says thorns and thistles. We know we have storms and pests and whatever. And these are all farming examples, of course, in Scripture. And we're not all going to be farmers. I'd venture to say no farmers in here. But if you work at an office job, you can replace thorn and thistles with probably just, you know, Steve from accounting, right? Or just the, the struggle of working alongside sinful people, right? With systems that are always falling apart and tools that are breaking. And you can escape the, the farming metaphors, and yet the reality hovers over us that all of work is a struggle. And we all face this, right? And I can relate to this, right? Like my home is where like potted plants go to die, right? And I find myself just staring at them and just saying like, I know that I didn't water you like I should. You know, I know life got busy, but it's like you want to die, right? Everything around us is, is decaying, right? That's like the natural state of this world. And you could lose a thousand hours of work in a field from like one ice storm. And you could, you could lose a thousand hours of work from a hard drive crash. And we have to work hard to protect things. We have to work hard to provide for our families. And we have to work hard to protect the hearts and the minds of our children against a world that wants to destroy them. And this world is broken. It impacts everything, right? And so work is God's plan. We see that clearly in Scripture. And we see that the difficulty and the struggle of work is a result of a broken world. And yet we believe that work is still God's plan, and so we press into it. We don't run from it, right? Amen? And so we keep going. I think the second thing we see really clearly is that in Scripture is that every moment matters to God. That this life is not trivial. That we are seven billion people that are on a, on a journey to the throne of God. Every moment matters to God. These things matter. God has a plan for our time, and yet there's so little of it, right? The Christian views all of life as serving our heavenly master. That's a huge responsibility. We're very familiar with Colossians chapter 3 when Paul writes to some Christians living as slaves, and I think the language he uses here is something that can really challenge us. Look at Colossians 3.23. He says, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Our work matters to God. We are stewards of every moment that he gives us and every opportunity that he gives us. We see places like Psalm 90 or James chapter 4 that talk about how short life is. Life is a mist or life is just a breath. And the answer for us as Christians is to work with joy for the Lord in all things. As I was thinking this week, about this and why we struggle with this so much. I think the biggest danger for us will always be a struggle with contentment, right? That we, we struggle to just be content with where God has placed us and what God has given to us. And, and God has given us, it's really clear in Scripture, everything 
we need to accomplish the work that he has for us, but we're so tempted to be discontent and paralyzed by that. I think you can find yourself often saying, I wish I had a different career, or I wish I had more money, I wish I had a house, I wish I was married, <laughs> I wish I married someone else, I wish I lived somewhere else, I wish I had more time to do the things I want to do. And maybe you say things like, I wish I had closer friendships, or I wish I looked a certain way, I wish I could go on vacations like those people can, and I wish, I wish I had a plan for after college like everyone else seems to have, right? It's hard sometimes to really believe that this is where God has us and this is what God is, has called us to and, and that God knows what is best for us in this season with these resources in this place that he's put us. And you ever feel like that, fellow church? Yeah. We see a really good example of contentment in the life of Paul, right? <laughs> we see him working hard for the Lord in whatever the Lord gives him. And so we see this incredible fruit that comes out of the life of Paul in his freedom and also in his chains. Look at Philippians chapter 4, verse 11. It's a really well-known verse. It says, Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. To be content in every situation. And Paul lives this life, right? He doesn't, he doesn't just say this in one verse. Like We know that his life is this. Paul lives a life that says, okay, so you're not, you're not going to put me in prison? Okay. So then I'm going to go plant churches around the entire Mediterranean, right? I'm probably going to get bit by a snake too. No big deal, right? Oh, and now you are going to put me in prison, okay? Well, then I'm going to write the letters of Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Philemon <laughs> from my jail cell. So you, ch you choose where you want me. You choose what you want to do with me, and I'm going to get to work with that circumstance, yeah? You'll find me working on the mission that God has given me in whatever circumstances I am in. That's something Paul said. That's something we can say. This is how we can live, those church. And we don't find peace in our complaining. We don't find peace in our worrying. We find the peace of God when we say, this is hard, this is a struggle, but this is where you have placed me and I want to work and cultivate the soil that is in front of me. And I want to trust that there will be great reward in the end. Yes? I think what the world wants for us is to be drowning in comparison. But we bring glory to God by our dedication to cultivating the things we have and trusting that we will never regret pouring out ourselves for the work that God has given us. Amen? Yeah? Maybe you work a job where you feel like this doesn't really have a lot of eternal significance. Maybe you think, if only I worked for like a nonprofit or, or if I was a missionary. I'm just like over here. I'm like drowning in like many tabs of Excel spreadsheets. Many, many. Trying to sell more widgets right, to people that want widgets. There's a really, really well-known quote from Martin Luther. He talks about this, and he says, the Christian shoemaker does his duty not by putting little crosses on the shoes, but by making good shoes, because God is interested in good craftsmanship. This is a quote that, that 
I think it's really affirming to people in the work that God has called, the simple work that God has called, especially many of you who work for many places and many companies and things that are not exactly trying to spread the gospel in the world, maybe just trying to sell things, right? When we go about our work with integrity and faithfulness, when we use our hands and our minds to produce quality things and and quality services with joy and not with grumbling, we're reflecting God, our creator, and bringing glory to him, right? And I wanted to pause, because this week I was thinking particularly about a group of people we have a lot of in this church, and, and that's um, people that have young, young kids, or raising young kids. And I want to speak in, okay? If God has entrusted you to raise a child, this might be the greatest work that you receive on this earth. It's evangelism, it's discipleship, it's cultivating, correcting, it's late nights and early mornings and exhaustion and pouring yourself out, right? I think it's important for us to understand that that Christian parents should not be trying to escape this season of life. Christian parents should not be just trying to endure and just barely get through this season of life. I've only been a dad for six years, not super great at it, (laughs) but I've watched so many of my friends become parents, and I can see how strong the temptation is to just be constantly complaining. And I see how strong the temptation is to just want to escape from it. There's so much work, there's so much like little sleep, right? And kids are hard. And I find myself some days like seeing my surfboard hanging in the garage, so much dust, so much sadness. It's like a long lost friend, you know? (laughs) I was just thinking this week, if you are a parent of young children, I just would plead with you, don't put your hope in moments of future freedom from your children. Whether it's day by day or year by year, just don't do it. We can so easily find ourselves thinking, and it's not just parents of kids, it's all of us, right? It's, if, I, you know, if I can just get to this, then things will be good, right? And parents, we so often think, you know, if I could just get to bedtime, get my kids asleep, then that's when my life begins. I can watch the shows I want to watch. I can do the things I want to do, right? If I can just get my kids all grown up and out of the house, then we can go travel like we used to, right? Or I think if our mind is telling us to put our hope in some earthly pleasure that is years away in the future. Do we really think that that is a thought that is from God or that's a thought that's from Satan, right? If your kid is five years old, don't waste a second of your hope on some future that is 10 or 15 years away or wishing you could be traveling or at dinner parties or living some other life. Instead, we should be pleading with God to show us more of the weight of how incredible it is to be entrusted with raising little hearts and minds for the glory of God. Amen? Yeah. And find a grandparent in this room, right? (laughs) Tell them to take you to lunch and plead with you to embrace 
this season of life. They would love that, and they'll pay for it too, right? <laughs> we need each other, yes? Let's keep going. So Paul describes a big problem with comparison in his first letter to the Corinthian church. I want to show this to you. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 4 through 9. He says, and when one says, I follow Paul, and, and another, I follow Apollos, Apollos, are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. I think we have another good reminder here, right, from, from the Christian, for the Christian life that we are not defined by our results, right? We're not defined by the results that may come. Every moment matters to God, of course. We will give an account to God for how we use each moment, but we are not defined by our results. If you belong to God, then every part of your life is defined and transformed by the cross of Christ and your work and your effort and, and how you evaluate your work and your effort is no exception to that, right? There, there is nothing that we can gain by our work that achieves more than what we have already received in Christ. And so that means a lot for us. It means that we can be radically focused on the faithful work itself and not the end results that we can't control, right? And we can trust God with the future, and, and it really changes how we view the good days and the bad days, right? That really changes how we examine the outcomes of life. And we've had people in this church that have lost a job in, in the past year or so, and it changes how you think about that as a person or as a leader of your family to be struggling financially. Or if, you're the, if you're a father and you lost your job in this season of life and, and you have to look in the eyes of your children and your family, God says really clearly, you are not defined by this struggle that you're in. God has commanded us to give effort and work and to provide for our families, but we're not commanded to control every outcome and every circumstance of life. Some of you have poured your life into raising children into adulthood, and, and right now in this moment, they're not following Jesus Christ. And I want to say that you're not defined by this. You're not defined by that. We go to our knees and we pray and we plead with God to save these kids. And, but we're not defined by our outcomes and by the results. We, we walk humbly, we work faithfully, and we know that we have a God who loves us unconditionally. And we're not judged by every result, right? And lastly, I think we see that there's a great reward for those who embrace the work that God gives them and put their trust in God's purposes, ultimately. I think it's this, that, that we have freedom to rest. <laughs> this is unique for God's people, right? We have the freedom to rest. If we're not defined by our results and if God alone is sovereign over the future, then we uniquely have a freedom to rest. 
I like how this is described in, in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, really interesting. And we see it modeled, of course, for us um, by God in the very beginning. But I like it here too. Ecclesiastes chapter 5. It says, He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. When goods increase, they increase who eat them. And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? Sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. <laughs> you see a lot of the contentment theme again, right, in verse 12 there. Sweet is the sleep of the laborer, whether he eats little or much. When we don't worship earthly success and when we don't worship wealth, we can work and rest in the rhythm that God intends for us, right? We have the freedom as God's people to find this balance of work and rest. We work as people who, who are declared righteous today as we, as we sit here. We work as people who are declared children of God and, and adopted in. And, and so what could we possibly achieve in this world that's greater than, than the crown that God has placed on us as adopted heirs of his kingdom, right? I was thinking, like, what's the biggest accomplishment that's happened in the last year? I mean, we had, like, back-to-back -back billionaires that, like, launched themselves into space. Like, that was kind of cool, right? It's like, I built a rocket ship. I'm super rich. Like, I did the same thing. No way, right? <laughs> they launched themselves into space. Big deal, right? What are you going to do? Make a pin that says billionaire rocketeer? You going to pin that on the golden crown that God has given you, saying you're a child of God? That would look ridiculous, right? There's no pin you're going to put on the crown that God has already put on you, so forget it, right? Go make as much money as you want. Go as high up as you want. Go farther. Someone's going to go farther. Go to, go to Mars, right? There's nothing else you can do. Every accomplishment that you could do would look ridiculous to be pinned on what God already says he has accomplished for you, right? Okay. We work from abundance, not for abundance. Right? We work from contentment, not for contentment. We work from our identity, not for our identity. That is so different, and the people who understand what this means and the people who live this way look and rest so much differently, right? And you can praise God because whether you work in an office or you work in a hospital or you work to take care of your home, whether you homeschool your kids, you're going to have a lot of terrible <laughs> work days, right? And yet, nothing changes for us. We are who God says we are. Amen? Last thing I want to say, I want to talk to the youth kids because I like that you guys are here, okay? <laughs> Someday you're going to be really good Christian kids and you're going to get a job at Chick-fil-A, okay? <laughs> and there's going to be mean people who say that you messed up their sauces and they're demanding more sauces and all, you know, typical. And you will say, my pleasure, but it is not your pleasure, okay? <laughs> you are not happy at all. 
in that, that moment, you're going to go home, you're going you're to lay in your bed, you're going to stare at the ceiling, and you're going to think, is this all there is for me, God? <laughs> Getting in chicken arguments with moms. And you know what God has to say to you, right? God says, you're so much more than the job that you have. You're so much more than the grades that you could ever get. You're so much more than the sports games that you could win. Like God says, I knew you before you were born. I formed you. I called you to myself. I adopted you into my family. And some days you could just take a deep breath and say, hey, that wasn't my best day, right? I probably didn't do so great or things didn't go so great, but but at the end of every day, you can rest in God, right? That, that your days don't define you. You can wake up the next day and say, I'm gonna work hard with the things God's given me. I'm gonna get, go after it one more time. And you can rest knowing that nothing you could ever achieve would be anything greater than just being a child of God. And that's what you already are, right? Yes? And so Village Church, what a gift it is to know God. It takes everything about this life, even something so simple as just working, and it gives an eternal significance to it, and it gives us an eternal joy that's rooted in God. And so may we be a church full of people who, who work differently because we know Jesus. Amen? Something I was thinking this week is that I want to end by sharing with you a few people that, that I really think we can be praying for who are really working hard in this season of life. And I think we'd really love your prayers. And so I'm gonna share with you four of them, okay? Maybe you can write some of these down. The first person I think some of you guys know is um, Pastor Aaron Sellers. We, uh, Pastor Aaron was a pastor at this church for many, many years and worked so hard. And he took a role of being a lead pastor in Vermont in one of the most rural places in America. And this week they, they are fully now an autonomous church. He's a pastor of a, of a church, and um, it's just an incredible part of the country, an incredible part of the world. I mean, the amount of Christians per square mile in rural Vermont is similar to, like, the numbers you'd find in, like, the Middle East. And he's going about the work and waking up every day, working for the glory of God and for that church and to serve that little church in Vermont. And so if you want to write that down, I'd pray for Aaron this week, all right? Another person you can pray for is Pastor Andy Dina over in Albania who's working so hard growing this little church in the middle of this country that is, that is predominantly Muslim and, and trying to find ways to reach more people for Christ and, and now most recently trying to come up with how they can minister to a whole flood of refugees from Afghanistan. He can imagine he needs a lot of prayer because he has a lot of of work to do, and so we want to pray for him. Yes, church? Yeah. I also think that we, as a church, can be praying for our village church family who work in the healthcare industry, right? Many of you have been doing this faithfully over the last two years. So much hard work in the last two years caring for our cities, and they are worthy of our prayers and continued prayers. Amen? Yes? And lastly, I was thinking of so many of our Village Church family, and I can see so many faces that work in schools as teachers or other staff, and all the systems in place right now and all the policies and all the stress, and 
getting to be a light on those campuses for many kids who probably feel a lot of emotions, a lot of loneliness maybe over the last few years. And, and so we want to pray for those people too. Yes? And so Village Church, may we be a people who see work as God sees work and value work because God values it because it's a good thing, not because we value expensive houses and expensive cars and all the things that you can buy with success, but because we just love God, because God has entrusted us with these things, with every moment on this earth, all for the glory of God. Amen? Yeah. Would you pray with me? Well, God, we just thank you for this life that you have entrusted us with. And I have a whole room full of people that have been in, entrusted with so many different things and different things to cultivate, and different gifts that they've been entrusted with and jobs and careers and families. And God, we just believe that you are the God over all these things and that your purposes are good for these things. And we thank you, God, that you've given us the ability to work and to rest in you and know who we are in you. And pray, God, that you would lead us in this, that we would be a church full of people who work well for the kingdom of God. And God, we do lift up these people. We lift up Pastor Aaron, Pastor Andy, and the work that you've called them to. And we lift up the people in this church who are in unique positions and jobs right now, whether it's the healthcare industry or working in education, that you would give them boldness and strength and, and wisdom to serve, to love the people around them in all these days. And God, I pray that you would give us clarity in the work that we have. There's probably a lot of people in here who are not sensing joy, contentment, clarity, in their work right now. And pray that you would give this to us, that you would that you would show us who you are and show us the significance of the work that you've called us to. We thank you, God. We're grateful. In Jesus' name, amen.